0: In the early 1800s, there lived a guy by the name of George Mueller. You you might have heard of him, but um, maybe not. So George George Mueller is probably most famously known uh, for the five orphanages he created, which cared for thousands of orphans during his lifetime. Now, the interesting thing about these orphanages is that they were almost entirely funded by donations. However, George Mueller never directly asked anyone For financial assistance. Instead, when the funds were getting low, he would pray to God to provide what was needed. So on one particular morning, around three hundred children were dressed and ready for school, but they had nothing to eat for breakfast. So mister Mueller told the children to set the table as they did every morning, and he prayed and thanked God for the food that they were about to receive. Mere minutes later, a knock came at the door and the baker from across the street entered in in a cold sweat, saying that he couldn't sleep last night because he somehow knew that the orphans needed bread this morning. He then proceeded to wheel in enough bread for all the children. Shortly afterwards, a milk cart broke down outside the orphanage. The milkman, knowing the milk would spoil, decided to bring it into the orphanage to see if they wanted it. So on that morning, God provided food for over 300 people or so. At that orphanage, George Mueller was—he pursued confident prayer. And this morning, we're going to examine five elements which empower our confidence in prayer. But first, let me give you some context of Psalm 143. So, you can tell by the tagline if you—if you have your Bibles open, it'll say at the top, "A uh, Psalm of David." So, it was written by David. Now, we're not exactly sure at what time in David's life he wrote this, but there's two times that seem to make sense. So we can tell from the request that he must have been experiencing some sort of oppression by his enemies. So it's possible he could be referring to Saul before he became king and he was being oppressed by Saul who tried to kill him. Um, Alternatively, it could be after he was already king and his son um, Absalom kind of overthrew him briefly. Um, Or it could just very well be a different part of his life. Um, It's not very clear in the text. However, it is very clear that David was living in a time of distress from his enemies, and so he turned to God for deliverance from their oppression. So the first elements of confident prayer is that we need to remember God's faithfulness. We need to remember God's faithfulness. So, look what David says in verse 1. He says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. So, David remembers the faithfulness of God. Notice how he orders this. He says, First, he asks God to listen to his request. Then he calls God to answer his request because David recognizes that God is faithful by his very nature. So in other words, David has seen that God has followed through in the past, and he trusts that God will continue to follow through in the future. Now, God, uh, David specifically was well acquainted with the faithfulness of God throughout his lifetime. Um, just for instance, look what he says in verse five. He says, "I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands." Now you might be thinking, "Well, I mean, of course, it's David." It's easy for David to trust in the faithfulness of God. I mean, he's the man. He's David. He's the man after God's own heart, right? Um, but I will remind you, uh, David was just an ordinary dude like the rest of us. You know, He didn't have any special spiritual juice he drank every morning. He uh, put his pants on one leg at a time, just like the rest of us. Except he probably didn't, because they probably didn't have pants back then. But um, the fact of the matter was, David has the exact same modes of experiencing God's faithfulness as we do. So first off, David could look to the scriptures for evidence of God's faithfulness. And actually in that department, we kind of have a one-up on David because he had like the Torah, first five books of the Bible, and he probably had a couple other things like maybe some Psalms, maybe some Proverbs. Um, But we, on the other hand, have the whole Bible. So we have a lot more content to look to for uh, evidence of God's faithfulness. Uh, So, take, for instance, uh, look at God's promise to Abraham. God promised to Abraham that he would make many nations come from him. And we can very easily verify this. Um, We have vast swaths of people who can trace their lineage back to Abraham. And so we can very easily see that God kept his word there. There were many nations that came out of Abraham. Or more specifically, just look at Jesus. Um, In Isaiah 9... Verses uh, 6 through 7, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And again, in case you weren't aware, this passage in Isaiah uh, comes long before Jesus was born. So we see that God fulfilled his promise to Isaiah by sending Jesus to be born of a virgin and die a sinless death to pay the price for our sins, only then to rise three days later from the dead to establish his eternal kingdom. So we can, with confidence, look to the scriptures for evidence of God's faithfulness. But we have another way that we can be sure of God's faithfulness. Like David, we can also look to our own experiences to see the faithfulness of God. So, for instance, David, when he was a young man, uh, was anointed and promised by God to become the king of Israel. Now, this didn't happen immediately for David, like perhaps he might have thought. And, in fact, it actually took quite a bit before he actually became king. But, nevertheless it came to pass that David uh, did sit on the throne. God did keep his word here. Now, I'm pretty sure, with a pretty pretty high degree of accuracy, that no one here has um, been told by a prophet of God that they're going to be the next uh, king over Israel. That's, that's probably the case, I would imagine. However, we can also look to our experiences um, to look at the faithfulness of the Lord. For one... The Christian has proof of God's faithfulness in their own lives. Because God promises that if we are in Christ, we will grow to be more like Christ and live out our Christian walk. And like David, this usually doesn't happen overnight. Um, But if you come to Christ, you are not who you once were. You are a new creature has been given a new heart, and God has promised to conform you to the image of his Son. We see this all the time. God has healed broken marriages. He has rescued drug addicts. He's melted the heart of the most convinced atheists. And many of you here today have stories just like this. So you can look back and see God has been faithful to you. And if he's been faithful to you so far, why would he stop now? It is the nature of God. It is who God is. He is a faithful God. So we need to remember that God is faithful when we pray But we also need to approach God in humility when we pray. We need to approach God in humility. Sometimes, and I'm guilty of this just as much as anyone, um, but we pray to God too casually. And, And like in one sense, I get it. You know, after all, Jesus did say in John chapter 15 that we are his friends if we do what he commands. And of course, we should feel comfortable bringing our requests before God. And while that's all true, I think sometimes we tend to take it to an extreme. Sometimes we pray as if God is just a friend and nothing more. But look what David does. Look how he begins his request to God in verse 2. He says, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. So before David even mentions his request to God, he first acknowledges the insurmountable gap between himself and, and a holy and almighty God. David has a healthy respect for God's righteousness and his power. If you've ever gone camping, you know that that to be the case, and you know what it's like. So my favorite part of camping, by far, is building a campfire. First you get your little kindling, little teepee, and... You, you start your little fire under it and you kind of put some little sticks on top of that and then you get your bigger logs once that's going pretty well. You put your logs on top of that and before you know it, it is prime and ready for all your favorite camping activities such as roasting hot dogs or roasting marshmallows, making s'mores, singing songs huddled around the warmth of the crappling campfire. Um, now, as much as I love a good campfire, I would never decide to just like, stick my foot in it And that's because I happen to have a healthy respect for the campfire. And in the same way, God's power and God's holiness commands respect and it commands humility. Prayer is a serious thing and sometimes we treat it lightly. And let's be honest, we've all been there. There you are, you're sitting around the lunch table, absolutely dying of starvation probably. So you rattle off a quick prayer just to get done so you can finally get to the food. When you really think about that, that's kind of messed up, really. You're you're praying to the God who sustains your very breath, and you're more interested in eating a few seconds earlier? Rather than taking the time to quiet yourself, come before God and legitimately thank him for the food he has given you sincerely. There are times when it is entirely appropriate to approach God in prayer trembling. Because frankly, God is holy and you are not. You deserve his wrath because you have sinned against him. David says, no one is righteous before God. You are not righteous. I am not righteous. Nobody is righteous. No one is righteous before God. And that's why it's so important that God sent his son, his one and only son, to pay the price for our sin with his very life on the cross. So that if we believe in him, We may be saved and have eternal life with him. And and to be honest, the amazing love that God has displayed in the gospel like that should humble us even more when we understand that we don't deserve his love at all, yet he has chosen to give it to us. We also need to believe that God can deliver. We need to believe that God can deliver. In verse 9, David says, Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. And so it seems kind of obvious, but just by asking the question, um, David is working under the assumption that God is fully capable of delivering him from his enemies. Otherwise, he wouldn't have asked. Uh, but, more than, but more than that, you can really see his dependence and the evocative language he uses to communicate his request to God. He says, answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like Those who go down to the pit. David is emphatic. He is desperate and he is confident. And sometimes we miss the mark here in a couple of ways. First, we sometimes doubt that God can deliver at all. Now, very few people are actually going to come out and say that. But a lot of the time, we tend to act that way. So we go into prayer requesting something of God. But deep down, all the while, we're believing that there's really no conceivable way that it'll actually happen. And to be fair, this is probably an overreaction against a lot of the, you know, name it and claim it gospel stuff you tend to hear from time to time. And on that, as a side note, I just want to make it very clear that God is not a a genie that we can use as a spiritual get-rich-quick machine, um, because the creator of the universe does not exist to line our wallets. Um, however, we shouldn't swing too far the other way, either, to think that God never actually answers prayer. Secondly, we also sometimes doubt that God is actually the one that delivers. Uh, this brings up an interesting misconception that we tend to have about how God answers prayer. Um, as an example, um, a couple weeks ago, before Easter Sunday, I'd like completely lost my voice. I could hardly speak, and uh it, you know, Easter Sunday is coming up, and I'm like, I need to sing. What's, I? you know, it's it's. I was getting a little nervous. And so I prayed to God that I would have my voice back for Easter Sunday, and I did. Now, in the past, I probably would have chalked this up to, um, you know, kind of luck or coincidence. Because, you know, I was, I was bound to get my voice back anyways at some point, and the fact that it wound up on Sunday was just kind of fortuitous. But when we understand that God is sovereign, in other words, he is in control of everything, and I had specifically asked for my voice to be better by Sunday, then we realize that God has specifically answered my prayer. So sometimes we mistakenly think that God only answers prayer in these like, extraordinary, miraculous ways. And though this happens sometimes, for sure, um, I don't doubt that at all, More often than not, God answers our prayers in the most simple and mundane fashion. And when you think about it, that's pretty consistent with his character. For instance, how does God choose to spread salvation across the globe? He chose the preaching of the gospel. The simple proclamation of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the atonement of sins to the lost. You know, there's nothing magical, there's nothing mystical about those words But God uses those simple, plain words to supernaturally change the hearts of the lost. So, when we pray that someone will recover from cancer, and they do end up recovering, uh, whether this is by miraculous, unexplained means, or perhaps by the hand of a skilled physician, we must recognize that that is an answer to prayer. I mean, after all, who gave the doctor his hands? Who gave the doctor his mind that was smart enough to attend med school and get his degree? Didn't God give that to him? So God does answer prayers, and he does deliver us. Now, I want you to notice something that David does here in the text. He presents his plea of deliverance from his enemies to God. But he also asks God for direction, for him specifically. So we should likewise, we should ask God for guidance in our prayers. We should ask God for guidance. So turn with me to uh, verses 8 and 10. I'll read 8 first. It says, Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. And in verse 10 he says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. I think a lot of the time, it's easier to think of ourselves as completely like innocent parties in the bad situations we find ourselves in, and to be fair, this this is sometimes the case, legitimately. But a fair amount of the time, we are active participants in our own troubles. Uh, C.S. Lewis once said, "That is the great step in wisdom: to realize that you also are just that sort of person. You also have a fatal flaw in your character." All the hopes and plans of others have again and again shipwrecked on your character, just as the hopes and plans, uh, just as your hopes and plans have shipwrecked on theirs. Now, regardless of whether we are innocent in a given situation or we're not, um, we really should seek God' guidance. We should seek guidance from God either way. Um, because almost always, there's something productive that we could be doing with what's going on around us. Now, one of the primary ways uh, we are directed by God is by knowing the scriptures. Uh, so before I served here, I served on the worship team at a, at the Southern Baptist Church in Pratt. And uh, I met the pastor there, and he told me if I wanted to understand him better, if I wanted to get to know him better, um, I should read some of the books he's written. Uh, he, he writ a couple uh, written a couple of books, and so he told me You want to know me? Check out these books. And God's kind of the same way. You know, the best way to know where God is guiding you is to know what he has already said in the Bible. Uh, So you can be very confident that God is not leading you to take your friend's laptop because he has explicitly spelled out in Scripture that stealing is wrong. Now, you chuckle, that sounds silly, but I've actually heard that from somebody before. That's actually happened. Um, so for a more concrete example, many people wonder who they should marry. Well, the Bible answers this in many ways. In Genesis chapter 2, it reveals that marriage should be between a man and a woman exclusively. And in Second Corinthians uh, 6.14, it states that a Christian should not marry a non-Christian. And there's a plethora of other passages to look to which describe good qualities to look for in a spouse. Um, so the first step to seeking guidance from God in prayer is to know the scriptures. We should also be confident that God will supply wisdom and he will supply guidance if we ask him. So James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So God gives wisdom and guidance generously. And we can just take that to the bank right now. We have the promise right here. So when you pray for guidance, rest assured that God will supply it. And it kind of makes sense. If God wants you to be wise and you ask him for wisdom, why on earth would he not provide that wisdom to you? So in addition to that, we must also trust God's steadfast love. We must also trust God's steadfast love. In verse 12, David says, and in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies, and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. So look at the confidence David has here. He is absolutely certain that God will save him from his enemy. Honestly, this, this verse, probably more than any of the other verses we've read today, cuts me to the core. Because uh, for me personally, this is what I struggle with the most. And I'm willing to bet I'm not the only one here that struggles with this as well. So you may not have an issue believing that God can answer your prayers, that he can deliver you, but maybe you just doubt that he wants to answer you. Sometimes we begin to think of God as this harsh, malevolent God who's just waiting for us to slip up so that he can smite us. Or you know maybe that's not you. Maybe you think that you're you're just bothering him when you bring your requests to him, or that he he really only cares about the big things. The small things aren't really that big a deal Um, because he's too busy or he just you know doesn't. It's not important to him. And that's why this verse is so important. Why does David have assurance? What what does he base his assurance on? He knows that God loves his servants. And on the one hand, that's so simple, but on another hand, that's so incredibly profound. God actually cares for his children like a father cares for his children. Look what Jesus says in Luke 11, 11 through 13. It says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And of course the context here is specifically about requesting for the Holy Spirit but uh, the nature of God is the same here. God wants good things for his children. Now that doesn't mean that you're never going to struggle or have difficult times. Because we are promised struggles, we are promised difficulty, we're promised loss. And it's partially because that those times of loss, those times of struggle and difficulty produce good things in us, like endurance or reliance upon God. So the other day, I took, uh, Kaylee and I I took Reuben to the park, and uh, so he wanted to climb up this like big plasticky stair ladder looking thing. Um, So I I helped him a little bit, but I kind of just let him get after it, you know, kind of struggle it out a little bit so that he can learn how to climb up on top of that. Um, and in the end, like though it was hard for him, he had the biggest smile on his face because he got to the top of it, and he just thought that was the coolest thing. So then he came down and wanted to go back up again, um, and that's that's sometimes God allows us to go through hard things for the same reasons, you know. It Doesn't mean He stopped loving us because He allows us to go through trials and struggles, and that is the fundamental shift we need to make in our minds. God loves us so completely and consistently. That we can be confident that however he answers our prayers, it is with our best interests in mind. And that's why David can be confident that God will deliver him from his enemies. And more than that, you will notice that David has a pretty good sense of what is actually good for him. Sometimes we, we in ourselves, don't know what's the best for us. But David has a pretty good grasp on it, all things considered. Uh, You'll notice in verse 6 he says, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. So David, his, his chief desire is the glory of God. He wants God himself. And how profound, how appropriate is that? After all, that's, that's the whole reason we exist as human beings. It's like uh, the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, What is the chief end of man? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. Thank you. Um, and that's, that's what David kind of says here, and uh, look what else he says in verse 11. For your, oh, it's, it's being weird, but I'll, I'll read it to you. Uh, for your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. That's, that's crazy. Like at the beginning, like, for your name's sake, preserve my life. Preserve my life so I can glorify you all the more in my daily life. That's so interesting, and we don't often think that way. So David prays with assurance because he loves God. But more importantly, he knows that God loves him. And it's like it uh, Paul says in Romans, If God is for us, who can be against us? When we pray, we need to remember that God loves us. And this should give us boldness and confidence. Pursue confident prayer. Turn to the scriptures and bolster yourself with the knowledge of the goodness of God. Seek guidance humbly while believing that God is willing and able to deliver us based upon his steadfast love and faithfulness. This hope and assurance is readily available to the Christian. And if you don't know Christ today, we hold this hope out to you. Though we have all sinned against God, we were all enemies against God, he has shown his love to us by sending his only son, to pay the price for our sins on the cross. Then he rose again on the third day to prove his kingship. Confess him as king of your life and believe that God raised from the dead uh, and the hope of eternal life through him is yours. Let the faithful, loving kindness of God stir you up to live in confidence in the joy of the Lord so that we can say with Paul, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly Then all we ask or think, according to the power that work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. Sometimes I think we, we forget that you are true to your word. Sometimes we forget that you're a loving, benevolent God who cares for us. I ask, Lord, that you would change our minds about this, that we'd realize that you are good and loving and merciful and gracious, and that's your character. That's who you are. That's what you desire to do. So when we present our requests to you, I ask that you would give us boldness and confidence uh, in, your, in your willingness to answer and in your ability to answer, that we would realize you're a good God and you're a good, loving Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.